Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Total Bases Express Show. I am your host, Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for joining us for the finale of the Greatest of All Time series. We are going to be unveiling the re- uh, the greatest relief pitchers of all time. And joining me, as always on this series, my good friend uh, Kevin Miller is here with me. Kevin, we've made it all the way to the end. How are you feeling? It's a little bit sad. Uh, you know, we, we've been on this ride for... I guess this is now the the tenth position. So tenth, yeah, eleventh, uh, something like that. Yeah, tenth because I don't think we we didn't do a designated hitter. So the tenth no. position. So this is the last one, and uh, it's a little bit a little bit sad. But uh, you know, this one it's it's a fun list, even though everybody knows how it's going to end. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've actually I've spent a good part of at least this morning getting absolutely flamed. Uh, on Facebook in baseball life for uh, some people for liking war too much and by other people for not liking war enough. So, so it's been an interesting, interesting day for, for me. So hopefully, uh, hopefully my takes that I have tonight won't create such vitriol as uh, my takes on wins above replacement did this morning. (laughs) Is it about the hall? Does it tie with the hall of fame discussion? Uh, it didn't. Um, I, so a lot of people have been posting the Dante Bichette stat line from 1999. Oh, yeah, the minus 2.3 war season. Yeah, and I, I just kind of pointed out, I was like, you know, I think this shows the good things and the bad things about war all at once. Yeah. It shows that war values, you know, defense uh-huh. and takes into consideration things like park factors and stuff. But it also shows that maybe they do it a little too much at times. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I got crushed by some people saying that, you know, I don't like war enough. And other people were like, war stupid. You shouldn't rely on war at all. And I'm like, well, we can we can acknowledge that there is good and bad within all statistical models. Right. right. But nobody was <laughs> or not nobody, but not a lot of people were, were feeling the nuance there. Right. Yeah, war is a good statistic to look to look at, and I've said it a couple times. War is not a standalone statistic by any right. means. I mean, you can't say that that is the prototypical end-all, be-all of how good a player is in any given season or in a career. But I would say you're right. I think um, I think war very much favors the middle-of-the-road player. I think if they're a middle-of-the-road player, then it doesn't affect them as bad. But if you have somebody that has really, really good offense, then they have a really weirdly high war that I think doesn't really um, help or it doesn't really reflect how good of a player they actually were. Maybe it overrates them a little bit. And consequently, if you have somebody that's either really bad defense or really bad offense, and and then it goes the other way, it doesn't, it again, doesn't reflect maybe just how good of a player they actually were. Um, So I think it's the outliers. The outliers is what it is. And I mean, in all mathematical models, I mean, we can look at average, we can look at all kinds of stuff and the outliers screw everything up anyway. So, you know, they, we're not, it's not a standalone statistic, but it is a good no. statistic to look at right. for sure. Um, right. And it, it also takes into consideration the era factors, park factors. It takes in uh, position factors. I mean, if we want to get into it, I mean, um, war kills first baseman. Usually mm. first baseman, you do not see them have a high war. 
it's usually the freak first baseman that you see with really high war. So, you know, if you play first baseman, you're already at a disadvantage in terms of how valuable of a player you are just because you're standing at first base. And left field too. Left first field. base and left field get yeah. torched. Yeah. Unless so, you're Alex Gordon. For whatever reason, Alex Gordon always – I know he's a good defender in left. Don't get me wrong. But he always somehow broke through. He had a high war, like a really high war for a stretch there where it was like, okay, he has not been a top ten player in baseball these last four years. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, I, I agree with you. It's, 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 a it's, there's good and bad to it. It doesn't favor the outliers. It favors the middle of the road players, but you know, there's flaws with it, but there's something to be merited by it because it takes a right. lot. It takes a lot into consideration. Um, so, you know, let's, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, so we've got uh, Felipe in the chat already. I saw uh, I saw Melvin in there. Melvin's got the Baseball Cosmos podcast up and rolling. Uh, I know he's editing his second episode, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, Felipe here in the in the chat it says it's not just a, that a, it's not just that about Bichette, his lack of defense and the Coors effect. It's the fact that a guy like Bichette was a dime a dozen in 1999. Probably what he's referring to is a hard-hitting, uh, a hard-hitting, you know, hitter, a power hitter who had really terrible defense. So it didn't favor, the war didn't favor him because yeah. he was just like everybody else. You and know, a lot of them played corner outfield. Yeah, right, exactly. Sure. Uh, you know, he's in That's the monster 90s with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and, you know, all of those guys that were hitting the ball 500 feet 70 times a year. So, you know, there's another, there's, he just wasn't the best out of right. all of those people. Uh, and his defense was just atrociously bad. Oh, it was, it was miserable. Yeah. So and going his to, son is a shortstop. Yeah. You know, um, so going away from, uh, the Bichettes in the corner outfield. We're going to get into our greatest relief pitchers of all time. And I thought this was a really interesting position. And, you know, this is at the forefront now of, of, um, of discussion with how we evaluate uh, relief pitchers because of Billy Wagner not getting into the Hall of Fame and only Scott Rowland getting in. Not only is, the, is Scott Rowland getting in a, a huge topic of discussion right now, another part of it is the fact that Billy Wagner didn't get in and I would throw in there because I voted for him. The fact that K rod didn't get in either, but K rod only got 10% of the vote. Um, it's more about um, Billy Wagner at this point. And I found doing the presentation, trying to put this presentation together that it was really difficult trying to size these guys up. I almost had to just make statistics that are um, he's this ranked among relievers. You can't lump them into the rest of it because it's just not fair. Right. They don't they don't look like they're worth anything when the relief pitcher, in my opinion, has probably evolved the most as the game has gone on, especially in recent time. Um, maybe you can say a little bit of peace as to uh, maybe you can comment on Billy Wagner not getting into the Hall of Fame or just the relief pitcher position in in total. It's been a huge uh, group, uh, it's been a huge topic of discussion in the baseball world and in baseball like Facebook group. What do you think about this uh, discussion? Yeah, I, I think I think it, part of what makes analyzing relief pitchers and their place in history so difficult is that at some point in every career of a relief pitcher, the relief pitcher was a starter. Nowadays, usually that's d done with in either college or the minors, so they have a full career as a reliever. That's not always the case. You've got guys that transition 
uh, once their major league career started. But back in the day, you know, back in the day, pretty much all of the good relievers began their major league career as a starter. And some of them for like, not just a couple seasons. Right. I mean, some guys that we'll see on, on this list, uh, one in particular spent about a decade uh, as a starter. Yeah. And, and so that makes it even, even more difficult to, to analyze the position. But as far as the specialization of relief pitchers goes, uh, I, I think the game has, has, greatly 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 evolved uh in in relief pitcher usage and that evolution is ever changing you know yeah. even just 5 years ago it was pretty much that every team's best reliever was the ninth inning closer yeah that's not always the case today you still have to have one of your best relievers in that spot but sometimes you throw your best guy out there in what you know, we as, as baseball nerds might would say the highest leverage situation. You know, if you've got in the middle of the lineup coming up in the seventh inning, you may throw your best reliever in the seventh, mm-hmm. hope that they can shut it down. And if they have a low pitch count, maybe pitch the eighth as well, and then bring on another good reliever in the ninth. Yeah. Whereas, you know, five, 10 and 15 years ago, that wasn't the case. And go back even further, 30 and 40 years now, the early relievers would just come in whenever, whenever the starter got tired and Mike would pitch the whole rest of the game. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, when we look at, at the early closers like Raleigh fingers and goose Gossage and those guys, a lot of their saves were two and a third innings yeah. or an inning and two thirds, not the traditional one inning save. Right. So it, it does make comparing closers more difficult. Um, it honestly, it makes the discussion for this list kind of fun yeah. because, because there, there is an argument to make once you get past number one, <laughs> Yeah, there's an argument to make for seven or eight guys at almost any spot. Yeah. If you, if you get into the numbers, so it, it should make for an interesting discussion because the position has looked so different throughout the years and who knows in 10 years, it might look different than, than what we see today, because I know, I know a decade ago, it would have been a very foreign idea to see your best, your best reliever not pitch the ninth inning. Yeah. But that's, that's an element of baseball. It's not even necessarily the most common thing that a reliever does these days, but it is a common element in baseball. Now who, who knows we, we, we've dabbled with openers. Yeah. Some, especially the Tampa Bay Rays and you know, we've dabbled with, with openers. Maybe, maybe those guys will, will be part of this discussion we're having right now. 30 years from now, right? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing to think about this is pitching itself is very volatile, but I think you see a number of starters stay in the league longer and be relevant in the league longer. Whereas relief pitchers, what you, I mean, you're noticing relief pitchers, most relief pitchers, if they're good are only lasting probably two or three years as relevant, and then they become decent or even bad. I mean, let's take Craig Kimbrell, for instance. Craig Kimbrell, if you would have asked anybody two years ago if Craig Kimbrell is a Hall of Famer, you probably would have you probably would have heard yes nine times out of ten. But now all of a sudden he's gotten, for whatever reason, same repertoire, same Craig Kimbrell. He's getting rocked 
and he's has a high ERA. He's lost the setup job. He's lost closing jobs, and he's been getting traded to teams all over the place because he's just not worth anything anymore. Now he's kind of borderline in terms of is he a Hall of Famer, right? Um, and so I think the main thread with these guys is going to be they were this good for so long and a lot of people and a lot, and you know, you may say, well, you know, a couple episodes ago, you talked about how this guy didn't have that long of a career and he played for 13 years. And now all of a sudden you have a relief (laughs) pitcher who's 13 years and he, you're saying he's so good for so long. Yeah. Because it's really difficult to be a really good relief pitcher for 13 years in a row. Right. So I think that's going to be the main thing that you see. There's a couple issues that I have with this list, but it's definitely an interesting list to discuss. Um, let's get into the list um, right away here. Uh, we've already talked quite a bit uh, before sharing the screen. So let's share the screen and let's get right into our uh, greatest relief pitchers of all time here. All right. So our greatest relief pitchers of all time, as always, we're going to start with our players that just missed the cut and a lot. And they're very modern, modern players in 11th. Guy that just got 10% of the vote and will be on the ballot next year for the uh, Hall of Fame is Francisco Rodriguez at 11th. In 12th, Eric Gagne, Dodger favorite. Another Dodger favorite, Kenley Jansen is 13th. Craig Kimbrell, 14th. And Araldis Chapman at 15th. Uh, what do you think about this list here? In my opinion, K-Rod doesn't get enough respect. I've already talked enough in the Hall of Fame discussion and, and things like that as to why Francisco Rodriguez doesn't get enough uh, doesn't get enough respect. I mean, he's got the fourth most saves all time. The dude was absolutely filthy while he was with the Angels, which was for half of his career. Yeah, he kind of tapered off, but then had a resurgence back with the um, back with the uh, Brewers. He has a 28% strikeout rate. I mean, this dude had, had a great peak, broke the all-time, uh, broke the all-time single season saves record. He has the fourth most saves all time, which is more than some of the other guys that are going to be on this list. I don't think Francisco Rodriguez gets enough respect. What is your opinion of this list there, Kevin, uh, of, of these five players here? Yeah, I think K-Rod and Kimbrell belong in the top 10. I know you, you were you were mentioning some of Kimbrell's recent struggles, and and I think we can honestly we can point to to K Rod's career looking kind of similar for a while, but then K Rod made an adjustment. I don't honestly I don't know what the adjustment was, but everybody, including me, thought K Rod was done, and then with the Brewers, he had a few more years where he was no longer you know he was no longer pumping ninety nine and striking everybody out. But he had three or four really good years towards the end of his career where he he became a different kind of pitcher and I think established himself as an all-time great closer. And I think he he does belong somewhere in the top ten, probably on the back end. I know he's top four all-time in saves. Some of his underlying numbers aren't quite as good as some of the other people on the list. Right. But I think 11, I think 11's too low. And I think Kimbrell for the sheer peak, man. I, you you can make the argument that if you're talking a five-year peak, that Craig Kimbrell has the best five-year peak of any relief pitcher to ever pitch. I would say so. Now, obviously, he does not have the the longevity um, of of dominance that we see from you know Mariano Rivera, uh, Billy Wagner, guys like that. But I, th- I think Craig Kimbrell belongs somewhere on this list, and honestly, because his career is not over. 
and he's honestly he's not that old <laughs> it seems like he should be but he's not that old um he has a chance to kind of do like K-Rod did and reestablish himself as a good reliever for a few more years and really cement his his hall of fame chances i think if he does that um so i'm interested to see how Kimbrell finishes up Gagne doesn't belong here sorry he had one incredible stretch over yeah. two seasons where he was basically untouchable. Uh-huh. I mean, he just was. He was he was excellent. Um, but other than the two and a half seasons or whatever uh that we're talking about, he had a pretty subpar career. Uh-huh. Um, he doesn't belong nearly this high. Um, there there are other guys that were better relievers uh over the course of their career than Gagne. Jansen and Chapman. They probably belong just outside the top 10, but I could see an argument for putting them in, especially Jansen um, with that cutter, second, potentially the second best cutter of all time. Right. Obvious, obviously, number one being Mo Rivera. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody knows that. Um, but, yeah, Gagne. Gagne is below these other four. I yeah, think I pretty clearly. I think he's the one that sticks out like a sore thumb on this list. Um, so... But at least he didn't make the top 10. If he made the top 10, I'd have been like, yeah, no, that's no, <laughs> that's not how this works. Um, so uh, that is our just missed the cut. Who did make the cut? Our gatekeeper for this list. Number 10, Mets great John Franco. John Franco spent 21 years with the Reds, Mets, and Astros from 1984 to 2005. He has the third most games pitched among relievers at 1,119, which translates to the 16th most innings pitched all time at 1,245 and two thirds. He pitched to the tune of the 289 ERA, a 1.33 whip, the fifth most saves of all time at 424, a 138 ERA plus, a 23.4 war. I just put war in there. I know it's going to, I mean, you're going to see really low wars for all these guys. And it's just because, they didn't pitch quite like the start the starters did. So 23.4 war for a reliever is pretty respectable. Four all-star uh four all-star appearances was a two-time Rolades reliever of the year uh, award recipients. And uh, I put in there that he's the nine, he has the 19th most strikeouts amongst all relievers at 975. John Franco starts off our list. What do you think? A good gatekeeper, good number 10 pick there for John Franco. I think so. Um he's he's a guy who uh, made his career really with the Mets, you know, had a, as a, as a lefty, uh, had a, had a screwball that he threw, which there's not been that many lefties to throw screwballs. You know, obviously Fernando Valenzuela was one, but I can't imagine being left-handed and throwing a screwball. It just seems like your elbow would fall off. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, throwing a screwball period, but especially as a lefty, that just seems so trippy, but John Franco was a good pitcher for a long time uh, to, to the point of, Winning two Rolades Relief uh, Reliever of the Year awards like almost a decade apart, which is impressive. I think it was like eight years apart. Mm-hmm. Um, that that just goes to show his longevity of being really good. Yeah, um, I don't I don't have any issue with him being here. Uh, I think I think he was a guy that probably is underrated. Now was probably a little bit overrated when he played because there weren't as many. Uh, you know, dominant relievers in the nineties as uh, maybe in the eighties and then in the two thousands. So he might've been a little overvalued while he played, but as Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, Billy Wagner, those guys came to prominence. A lot of people forgot about John Franco. 
Yeah. And, and I, I don't think that is fair to his career because he's really good. Um, he has a little bit of a, I don't know if you knew this, he has a little bit of a, a questionable um, past. Uh, he is one of many, honestly, baseball players who have a connection to uh, organized crime. Oh. Did you know that? No, so I we have don't, no idea. Yeah, he never got in trouble necessarily because there's there was never any way to prove it, but he often uh, gave tickets to local, um, we'll just we'll just say uh, influential community members when he was in New York, um, organized crime families, essentially. He often left tickets for them uh, at the gate. I don't know if that was um, because they were they were his friends. He was scared of them. Uh, he worked with them. We don't really know. Uh, but he was investigated by Major League Baseball multiple times because there are rules in place that actually say n- literally like no fraternizing with organized crime <laughs> uh, stemming from the 1919 Black Sox scandal. Right. It's probably when the rule was written with it saying fraternizing. But um, John, John Franco would leave tickets for uh, organized crime members. And uh, was investigated a few times, but they never found anything, never had a reason to suspend him or anything. But it's just an interesting nugget about his time in New York. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, 21-year career, that's uh, that's going to be uh, pretty high on this list when it comes to longevity. Uh, most of these careers you're going to see are in the teens, and he made it into 21 years. So, you know, he made a living out of being a, a relief pitcher and a good one at that. I mean... You know, 2.89 ERA, we just talked about it, a volatile position that is relief pitching. And he spent 21 years pitching, you know, and and uh, he's got a 2.89 ERA. I'd say that's that's pretty good. That's lower than some of the other guys on this list. Um, so very impressive. And John Franco is our number 10 uh, relief pitcher of all time. Let's get into number nine. Number nine is Bruce Suter. Bruce Suter spent a 12 year career with the Cubs, Cardinals, and Braves from 1976 to 1988. He's pitched in 512 games, 1,042 innings pitched to the tune of a 2.83 ERA and a 1.14 whip has exactly 300 saves. And when he retired was the, uh, uh, left with the career saves uh, leader for the Cardinals. Uh, and he's 30th all time in saves has a 136 ERA plus. So for those of you that don't know what an ERA plus is, we've already talked about kind of the, the adjusted um, adjusted statistics here, but ERA plus is essentially like OPS plus um, for, for hitters. Um, it takes the ERA of a player and like balances it out for era and park and, and all kinds of different things. Um, so anything above a hundred is really good. And the higher you go, the better you are. So this says that he's a uh, 36% better than an, than the average player. So, uh, 136 ERA plus a 24 war made six all-star appearances, won the Rolaids reliever of the year award four times. And he was the 1979 Cy Young Award winner as a reliever. It is really, really difficult here to to win the Cy Young as a reliever. And Bruce Suter did that in 1979. So that just tells you how dominant he was specifically in 1979, but just how good of a pitcher he was to be in conversation that the Cy Young winner is, 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 is something to behold, but actually winning it is something else. Uh, Bruce Suter at number nine, Kevin, what do you think? Yeah. So Bruce Suter is one of the, one of the 
pioneers of the closer role for relief pitchers. You know, he was one of the early guys to do it, especially with the Cubs and the Cardinals. He he pitched multiple innings a lot, as you can tell, by pitching over a thousand innings with 300 saves. You know, he would often uh, get a multi-inning save, which is something that doesn't happen much in today's game. Um, and as a side note, you know, people talk about Bobby Bonilla getting paid, right? There's Bobby Bonilla Day. Did you know that Bruce Suter was getting paid up until his death or, uh, last year? Did you know that? Really? No, I did not yeah. know that. By the team he spent the least amount of time with, which was the Atlanta Braves. The Braves wow. the Braves deferred Bruce Suter's contract to the point where they were paying Bruce Suter over a million dollars every year uh, up until his death last year. So it was for uh, over 30 years past his retirement. Uh, thankfully, my Braves don't get drugged through the mud the way that the Mets do for the Benia contract. <laughs> But uh, Bruce Suter also had one of those contracts. Um, but a uh, very good pitcher. Uh, he, he, was, uh, <laughs> he was of the era uh, of intimidating facial hair-wearing closers. You know, they're, you know Raleigh <laughs> Fingers. We'll, we'll have a few of those guys on this list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and Dennis Eckersley. You know, these guys would just – they a lot of them were big. Uh, but if they weren't big, they were mean, right? And they had facial hair, and they'd strike you out. And Bruce wow. Suter was was one of those guys. And the fact that he won four Rolades Reliever of the Year awards during the same era that some of those guys pitched is really impressive. And I, I think it's something that um, a lot of people probably don't realize. I think most people realize Bruce Suter was good, but I don't know that they know how good he was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was he was one of those I was like, really? Okay. And so I started I started diving in and I'm like, wow, he actually was way better than I thought he was. So, you know, yeah, Bruce Suter at number nine, well-deserved, um, just as Eddie, uh, Eddie here in the chat, he also said, or no, I'm sorry, that's Corey Richmond. Corey Richmond said that Suter is well-deserved to be on the list, and uh, I, I agree as well. Uh, Eddie is in the chat, uh, so is Angel. Angel's watching as well, so thanks, guys for uh, listening and, um, you know, contributing to the chat. It's always a great time to see the chat go off. Uh, let's get into our number eight. Our number eight is, is our oldest relief pitcher on the list, Hoyt Wilhelm. I mean, you got to be old with a name like Hoyt, right? So Hoyt, <laughs> Hoyt Wilhelm spent a 21-year career with the New York Giants, Cardinals, Indians, Orioles, White Sox, Angels, Braves, Cubs, and Dodgers. In other words, his other name should be Kenny Lofton. He's the Kenny Lofton of the relief <laughs> pitchers at this point. He pitched 1,070 games, the 12th most all-time, the most innings among relievers, 2,254 and a third innings, and it's not even close. Um, he pitched, but so far, the lowest ERA that we've seen out of the, out of the other two uh, relief pitchers that we've seen, 2.52 ERA, a 1.13 whip, the 44th most saves all time at 228, a 147 ERA plus. Very impressive for as many innings as he pitched. A 46.8 war, so double the war of the other guys that we've seen. And he made eight all-star appearances. Hoyt Wilhelm, this one was really, really interesting because his, I think his career stems from he was really good and a multi-inning pitcher. And he did it for a long time. You don't see very many of these 
kind of longer relief pitchers, right? These, these two, three inning pitchers be as dominant as he was. A lot of these guys you're going to see are closers and they're the one inning guys. You know, we'll see a few of the closers that Kevin mentioned earlier. They're one and two thirds or two innings or whatever. But this guy was a longer relief pitcher just by nature. Um, I thought this was a really interesting addition to the list. And and I'm happy that he gets respect because honestly, I think he does belong on this list, even though he doesn't fit the prototypical relief pitcher that we see nowadays. He was good during his era for a position that really was very underdeveloped and didn't really have a role on the team. It was just like we talked about earlier, they're just starters that couldn't start. Right. So um, what do you think at Hoyt with Hoyt Wilhelm at number eight? I was pleasantly surprised to see Hoyt Wilhelm on the list. I, I didn't know if the baseball life community as a whole would know him well enough to put him on the list, uh, you know, being an older relief pitcher, you know, he still finished with over 200 saves uh, when he, even though he pitched in an era where nobody knew or cared what saves were. <laughs> um, he, and he pitched 21 years, despite also spending some time in the military. Um, he was, uh, he won, or he's one of 37 actually guys to receive the Bob Feller Act of Valor Award. Uh, for military service during his playing career, um, which is a, a really cool honor. And uh, I, I, I'm sure that, that you know this, and a lot, of, a lot of people who might be watching this would know this, but Hoyt Wilhelm was a knuckleballer. And I can't imagine having a guy come out of the bullpen throwing a knuckleball. Right. Because it's hard enough to hit a knuckleball when it's Phil or Joe Necro or Tim Wakefield and you have all day to prepare and think about it and be ready for it. But with a relief pitcher, you have no idea when they might come in the game or if they might come in the game. And the starting pitcher might be throwing 93 mile per hour fastballs and then a big slider. Whereas Hoyt Wilhelm's coming in with a knuckleball. <laughs> I don't know where I can't imagine being able to hit that. I mean, at the end of his career, you know, when he's with the Dodgers, Sandy Koufax was on the Dodgers. Can you can you just think about Sandy Koufax pitching seven innings, a solid ball? Your team did well to get a run, right? And then all of a sudden they bring in Hoyt Wilhelm. <laughs> you've been swinging, you've been swinging at at fastballs from Sandy Koufax, and now you got to try to hit a knuckleball. That I, that just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's just not fair. <laughs> it's not. It's not fair at all. And it, it just goes to show why his career ERA, even over such a long career, is two and a half, and why his WHIP's barely one point one. I mean, there, there, there's a reason why those numbers are what they are. Yeah. Um, but all in all, I'm pleasantly surprised to see him on the list. I'm happy yeah. he was in, included, and maybe he should be a little bit higher. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see him being higher. I mean, he made a career out of a, out of being a knuckleball relief pitcher. You don't see that. I mean, it's so unique and he ended up making it successful. I, I have no problem with Hoyt Wilhelm being higher, but I'm glad he's on the, he's on the top 10 for sure. All right. So Hoyt Wilhelm at number eight, who is in the number seven position? That would be the mustachioed uh, legend himself. Raleigh Fingers. Raleigh Fingers spent a 17-year career with the A's, 
Padres and Brewers from the night from 1968 to 1985. He played in 944 games. He pitched in it anyway, which is 18th among all uh, all relievers. He pitched in the fourth most innings all time as a reliever, 1,701 and one third innings uh, to the tune of a 2.9 ERA, a 1.16 whip, the 15th most saves all time at 341, a 120 ERA plus. So not quite as high as some of the other guys, but still a very good pitcher, uh, 25.6 war made 17 all-star appearances won the Rolades reliever of the year four times was the 1981 Cy Young winner. And won the MVP in 1981. So not only did he do something that was really difficult as a relief pitcher, win the Cy Young, but you do something that's almost impossible as a relief pitcher, especially nowadays, is to win the MVP. And and we're talking about the 80s here. So you're talking about some really good offensive guys and some really good pitchers at that. And Raleigh Fingers, a guy that comes in one, two innings, you know, four four days a week, comes in and wins the MVP, that's dominance right there. So Raleigh Fingers, in my mind, deservedly in the top 10, number seven, um, and I think probably one of the most memorable, if not the most memorable mustaches of all time in baseball history. And he still wears it to this day. That's how you know. Like, you look at it, you're like, you see this old gray guy on there. He's got the handlebar mustache still twisted up. And you're like, oh, that's what, that's Raleigh Fingers. Because you know, because it's a mustache. Everybody else, you're like, uh, is that could that be and then they and then they say the name is but you immediately know who raleigh fingers is because of the mustache so you know that's another thing why he probably should be in the top 10 because you know he's got that mustache so what do you think of raleigh fingers here at number seven and in the top 10 here yeah i'm not gonna spend much time talking on that because i think somewhere between four and eight is perfect for raleigh fingers yeah He, he belongs i think almost everybody would agree with that I want to talk about his mustache. <laughs> Let's go. So, do you know Raleigh Fingers' mustache origin story? Mm-mm. I so don't. This is all. This is awesome. So when he was with the A's, Reggie Jackson showed up to training camp one year with an ugly patchy beard, and at the time, the A's did not allow for facial hair, or at least no beards. Mustaches were allowed, and. Uh, the players were actually really bothered by it because they thought Reggie's beard looked bad. This was a younger Reggie Jackson, so he had not had time for his beard to come in nice and thick and full. But uh, they, they, out of protest against Reggie's bad beard, all started growing beards. And they thought this will get the attention of management who doesn't allow for beards and they'll make Reggie shave. They thought that's how they were going to get it done because Reggie was too stubborn to shave on his own. Well, it actually backfired because the the owner then of the A's saw that the fans in spring training were loving the facial hair. And so not only did they start allowing for facial hair, they actually had a contest within the team for a $300 prize. Whoever could grow the best and uh, most well-received by the fans, most well-received facial hair would win a $300 prize. So Raleigh Fingers said, well, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to win this $300. 
So he shaved the beard, left the mustache, started putting wax in it and said, I'm going to look like these guys who pitched in the 1880s. And sure enough, if you go on baseball reference and you look at pitchers from the 1880s and stuff, half of them have a handlebar mustache just like this. Yeah. And Raleigh fingers pulled it off and then he kept it. I don't know if that was a superstition, you know, baseball players are very superstitious, right? Something, something good happens while you're wearing a certain type of sock or while you're uh, having a certain type of facial hair, you're going to keep it. And, and so Raleigh fingers kept the facial hair, kept the handlebar mustache and the rest is history, but it's all because Reggie Jackson grew a patchy beard and the owner said, all right, $300 prize to whoever who can grow the best facial hair. So Raleigh Fingers won the $300 and then continued his mustachioed way to the Hall of Fame. $300. These, $300. These rich, these rich baseball players and $300 started a mustache. So Even it, back then, the Oakland A's were extremely cheap. <laughs> That's so true. Um, I loved that story. That was awesome. Uh, you always come up with the good, with the good stories. Um, and we also have a good anecdote here from, um, from Corey Richmond here. Corey Richmond said that Hoyt Wilhelm going back to Hoyt Wilhelm became the first true reliever to be elected into the hall of fame. So, you know, in 1985, so that's a, that's a good little anecdote. And that does make sense. I mean, he is in the Hall of Fame, and he is the oldest one on this list. So, yeah, that does make sense. Uh, thanks for that, Corey. Um, took but too that, long. Yeah, took too long, to be honest. Um, yeah, but that was, that was a great story. I like that. $300. Now I have something for Trivia Night. Um, so, number seven, Raleigh Fingers, who is number six, just falling out of the top five. The man of the hour, a big topic of conversation right now, Billy Wagner. Billy Wagner spent a 16-year career with the Astros, Phillies, Mets, Red Sox, and Braves from 1995 to 2010. Pitched in the 32nd most games all time among relievers, 853, and the 59th most uh, innings pitched at 903. To the tune of a 2.31 ERA, a 0.99 whip, which I'm going to spoil it here, is the lowest of anybody on this list, including those who you know are going to be at the top of the list. Um, he's got the six most saves all time, 422, a 187 ERA plus he's better. He's 87% better than the average pitcher. That is bananas. Uh, 27.7 war seven all-star appearances and won the role laid reliever of the year award one time. Um, Billy Wagner at this point, it is criminal that he's not in the hall of fame and the fact that he's not in the hall of fame, in my opinion, really just shows how we, how the writers of the baseball community don't evaluate properly evaluate relief pitching, the value of relief pitching. And I think how unfair the standards of relief pitching is because at this point now they're saying if they're not Trevor, they're, they're not Trevor Hoffman. If they're not Mariano Rivera, they're not getting in. And that's, you can't compare everybody to Mariano Rivera. There's one Mariano Rivera. There's one Trevor Hoffman. Billy Wagner was dominant for a long time with a fastball. That, I, I mean, he, he was hard throwing. That was his thing. He was going to gash you out. Yeah, he had some injury problems, but that's because he gassed everybody out. And he still spent 16, year, 16 years racking up the sixth most saves all time. 
better than some of the other players that we see on here. And 187 ERA plus, if I remember correctly, there's only one other pitcher on this list who has a higher ERA plus than Billy Wagner. And you're telling me that he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame? It's criminal at this point that Billy Wagner is not in the Hall of Fame. Billy Wagner belongs in the Hall of Fame. If he is, if he does not get in the Hall of Fame, I swear we need to reevaluate the voting process for the Hall of Fame. Because at this point, it's getting just ridiculous that Billy Wagner is not getting in, especially with the sabermetric with the sabermetrics that we have going on nowadays and all of the points of references that we have for study and analysis and you know comparison and and things of that nature. How can Billy Wagner not belong in the Hall of Fame? It makes zero sense to me. So you can make you can make your stance on Billy Wagner for the Hall of Fame consideration, or we could talk about him uh, in this position on the list. Go ahead. Yeah, Wagner, man, Wagner was special to watch um, as a kid. You know, watching the Braves as much as I did, I got to see him a lot. Um, between playoff matchups with the Astros or just, you know, constantly playing in the NL East against the Phillies and the Mets. And when Wagner would come in the game, the initial thought was, well, the game's over. And in 2010, as an old man, Billy Wagner came and played for the Braves in his final season and was still really good in year 16. And he was not a big guy. Uh, he, he, he was an all-star his final year. Yeah, he was. He was. And he was not a big guy at all. Not not tall, not outrageously muscular or anything. But he would just he would just whip that left <laughs> that left arm around and just bang 99 on the gun. And <laughs> and it wasn't straight. Uh, that was one thing, you know, as a as a kid, when you first are watching pitching, you think of a fastball as straight. Billy Wagner was one of the first fastballs that I remember being like, that didn't look straight to me. <laughs> and, and it was because it had movement even as a fastball. And obviously now I, I know that, that that's how fastballs at the big league level work, but it was obvious even when I was a kid seeing Billy Wagner's fastball move. I, I mean, 187 ERA plus is just ridiculous. Yeah. I know he, I know he had some postseason moments that were less than stellar, uh, not as not as bad as the guy who replaced him in in uh, Houston, uh, Brad Lidge, who had some <laughs> big time choke uh, jobs. Albert Pujols has something to say about that. <laughs> uh, that ball still hasn't landed. It's somewhere floating in the atmosphere next to the one that Jorge Soler hit in the World Series. Oh my god! But but uh, coincidentally against the Astros as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Billy Wagner, he is to me not high enough on this list. Number one, I, I, think I agree. He, I think he should be a couple spots higher, but is absolutely deserving of a spot in the hall of fame. I don't want to sound like I'm taking away from some of the other relievers who are in the hall. Like when you think of goose Gossage and Lee Smith and Bruce Suter and guys like that, those guys are great and they all have hall of fame cases as well. I think Billy Wagner is better than all of them. I think Billy Wagner is somewhere second, third, or fourth all time as a reliever. Yeah. And I don't I don't think you can look at the numbers and have a different argument. Yeah. So I'm getting we're getting some uh things in the chat here. And uh Corey Richmond's big thing right now is 
What did Billy Wagner do uh, in in big situations? He choked. He didn't do anything, right? He 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 got hit. He didn't do anything. He didn't nail anything down. And that numbers aren't everything. Now I've had this conversation with a few people. There's there's too much reliance on stats and numbers aren't everything. You got to look at the, the 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 optics of it as well. And okay. Sure, he had la- he had lackluster postseason experience, but that's a sample size of what fifteen games, right? I mean, if you if you add it all up, you're talking about a third of a season. When you yeah. add up all of his postseason appearances, probably less than a third of a season. So, but you're looking at a closer here. Now, is the ninth inning always the highest leverage inning? No, but it is a high leverage inning. You still have to, there, there have been plenty of times when they're almost there at the ninth inning and then they blow it, right? This man saved 422 games in his career. He pitched in 853. Half of the time that he, almost half of the time he got there, he saved the game. He kept it right where it needed to be. So you can't tell me that he choked in every big moment. I would say that there's more than enough evidence here to say that he didn't choke. Now, in the playoffs, okay, fine, I'll give you that. But you can't tell me that every big moment that he had, he choked because he's the, he has the six most saves of all time. So optics there, and he, and he spent a 16-year career doing the same exact thing. And I, I just, I don't, I think the optics say that Billy Wagner is dominant in my opinion. And there wasn't very many people that did that. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't just blame postseason experience for why he's not in the hall of fame, right? Just like we can't put people in the hall of fame for their postseason experience. Yeah. It's a nice feather in the cap, but that can't be the reason. And it can't also be the reason why he's not in the hall of fame. You have to look at his entire career, right? So Billy Wagner, I think, belongs in the Hall of Fame, and I agree. He should be way higher, and we're about to get to people here who I think should be lower on the list, given the uh, given some of the people that we have on here, including Billy Wagner. So let's get to it. Our number five relief pitcher of all time is Lee Smith, another one that I think is too low on this list. Lee Smith spent an 18-year career with the Cubs, Red Sox, Cardinals, Yankees, Orioles, Angels, Reds, and Expos from 1980 to 1997. Pitched in the ninth most games all time amongst relievers at 1,022 and the 15th most innings amongst relievers at 1,289 and one-third. A little bit high of an ERA, 3.03 ERA. Um, I don't know why I just have whip there. Uh, (laughs) 1.26 whip, (laughs) a 1.26 whip. The third most saves all time at 478, a 132 ERA plus, 28.9 war, seven all-star appearances, and three Rolaid Reliever of the Year awards. I think Lee Smith is, uh, as uh, even though he didn't have that much facial hair, I think you have, uh, I think you could say Lee Smith is one of those guys that he was intimidating when he got on that. He was big and intimidating when he got on the mound, and he was just going to blow you away and strike you out. And I mean, that persona is what made him the third biggest or the third best or third most saves of all time. He just came in and he shut you down because he intimidated you out of the batter's box. Um, Your opinion on Lee Smith at number five, in my opinion, I think he's too, I think he's too low. Um, Even if he has 
a higher ERA than some of the other guys on here. Uh, what do you think at Lee Smith at number five? Uh, I'm actually, I'm actually pretty content with, with him at five. I, I agree uh, with a lot of what you're saying, but I also agree with something that Corey is saying in the chat about Lee Smith. He says that Smith uh, was a bit of a compiler and there were, there were, there were years in Lee Smith's career where he wasn't very good, but he still got save opportunities. Now there were also years in Lee Smith's career where he was utterly dominant. And those have to be considered as well. Profile wise. He actually looks a lot more like the modern closer because yeah. he's a big fastball. And then he had a secondary pitch and depending on um, depending on who you ask, it was either a splitter or a fork ball that he threw alongside his hundred mile per hour fastball. And if you can execute, a splitter or fork ball, whatever you want to call it, because they're pretty similar pitches. If you can execute that off of a hundred mile an hour fastball, that's unhittable. And when Lee Smith was on with both pitches, he couldn't be touched. And coming out of his, you know, six 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 seven giant frame, um, that's that's not something you want to see as a hitter. And and especially early in his career, and when he played with the the Cubs and the uh, the Red Sox and even the Cardinals. Um, th- there was uh, there was a stretch there in the '80s where, where Lee Smith was the best closer in baseball. I, I don't think it lasted uh, quite as long as his full 18 year career, which is where some of the compiling comes in. But uh, I, I'm pretty content with Lee Smith being where he is. He, he's, I mean, he's third. You can't be third all time in saves and be completely a compiler. Um, you know, just like, you know, there are people who try to claim that Trevor Hoffman was a compiler only. And it's like, dude, no, he's got 600 saves. <laughs> There's something to that. Yeah. Um, but Lee Smith, very good. I mean, three reliever of the year awards uh, kind of speaks to that um, as well, especially because he shared an era with, uh, with some other good relievers, especially in the eighties, you know, the nineties wasn't quite as, big of a closer era, but especially earlier in the eighties, uh, he had a lot of good competition um, and having almost 30 war as a reliever is pretty impressive as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the higher wars of, of, of uh, the relief pitchers here. So Lee Smith at number five, let's move on to number four, number four, goose, rich goose gossage. I am going to talk about this one here. He's had a 22 year career with the white Sox. The Pirates, the Yankees, Padres, Cubs, Giants, Rangers, A's, and Mariners from 1972 to 1994. What is the deal with all these all these uh, relief pitchers going to all to like seven or eight teams in their career? Um, a and pitched in a thousand two games for and one thousand eight hundred nine and a third innings pitched. That's third amongst relievers. A three point oh one ERA, a one point two three WHIP the 27th most saves all time at 310, a 126 ERA plus, a 41.1 war, nine all-star appearances, and one Rolaid reliever of the year award. My opinion, Goose Gossage is too high. This, I don't think Goose Gossage should be top five. I could see him top 10, but I think he should not be in the top five. Number four is too high for Goose Gossage. Um, I think I loved his persona. I loved his attitude when he got on there. He said in interviews and in documentaries, what was when they asked him, what was your approach? He said, I hate every single hitter. And if you got a hit, I was mad. 
and I was going to blow you away and throw you throw harder or throw even harder to you the next time. And he, he had a presence and he let you know, and I love that attitude. But at the same time, I don't think that Goose Gossage is a top five reliever of all time. Um, We want to talk about a compiler. I think Goose Gossage is a compiler, and he didn't even have the same amount of saves as Lee Smith. Lee Smith had more than 100 more saves than Goose Gossage. And we had talked about it. Uh, there, there were there was a private conversation that we had where um, I had said Goose Gossage is too high, and and uh, the comment was, well, he also had a lot of saves. There are twenty six other people that had more saves than Goose Gossage. What do you mean he had a lot of saves? Yeah, three hundred saves is good. It's impressive. That's great, but it's not top five. There's no way. Forty one point one WAR. Okay, that's good, but that's he also pitched in the third most innings of all time. So again, compiler. Now he was in the he was he's also in the era where they pitched two innings a two inning save. That that's fine, but I think for as high of an ERA as as he is compared to these other guys, um, and as low of saves as he has, too low of an ERA plus. I don't think Goose Gossage is a top five. He can be top 10. I don't have any problem with him in the list, but I have a, I, I don't think he is a top five pitcher or a top five relief pitcher. Um, you, persona wise, facial hair wise. Sure. Put him in the top 10. I'm cool with that, but I don't think overall he is a top five relief pitcher. Top 10. Yes. Um, what do you think? Does Goose Gossage belong in the top five? I, I wouldn't have placed him in the top five. I think he's just outside of the top five. Uh, I did want to make a note that some of his war comes from some years as a starter. Um, he did. He was one of the relievers who began his career starting games. Uh, it wasn't a, a long period of time or else he'd have even more innings pitched, but that is where some of that war value comes from. Uh, but a stat that you don't have up here is that Goose Gossage is the all-time leader in blown saves. Um, there's never been another pitcher to blow more saves than Goose Gossage. And it's over 100. And a third, or, well, I guess it'd be a fourth of total chances, you know, about just over 100 out of just over 400 chances he blows. And that's not a great ratio. No. Um, I I think Goose Gossage um, was very good most of the time. And he even had stretches where he was dominant. But he's a guy that I think was very popular for his essentially angry, crazy man personality and for his facial hair and for the fact that he spent uh, some of his best years with the Yankees and was a very loud voice on a very loud Yankee team. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he actually um, he, he is a he is a guy who has a lot of statistical anomalies about his career, not necessarily um, that the stats are weird, I guess, but uh, special moments. So he got his 308th save. So one of his last ones on the same day that Nolan Ryan got his 308th win. Um, They both played for the Rangers at the time. So Ryan got the win. Gossage got the saves. That's kind of cool. Just baseball numbers symmetry there. But he, he also struck out Pete Rose and Pete Rose's final at bat. So thank you, Goose. (laughs) Uh, his nickname do you know where his nickname came from i I, i've always wanted to research where goose got his nickname 
So it, it's exactly what you think. It comes from his name, but it happened because people called him Goss when he was young. And he had a friend. I can't remember who it was, but it, it was a, it was a fellow player. Um, maybe when he's in college or the minor leagues, I can't remember who said Goss is a stupid nickname. I'm going to call you goose. And that's how, that's how it happened. <laughs> so one, one guy just unilaterally told him that the shorthand of his name was stupid. So he started calling him goose. <laughs> <laughs> what stupid origin stories we got going on tonight. Oh, $300 yeah. prizes and j- dudes just saying that their names are dumb. Like the- <laughs> yeah. Have you have you heard about his World Series story before? No. So when he pitched for the Padres, the Padres uh, who do not, in case you weren't aware, do not make the World Series very often. Uh, the Padres were playing against the Tigers. I guess what was that? Was that eighty four? Maybe somewhere around there. Um, I think. Yeah. And uh, Kirk Gibson was uh, the Tigers' best offensive weapon at the time, um, and he hit what potentially should have been his most famous home run, but uh, his one with the Dodgers got a little bit more fame because he had the two hurt knees as well, but he hit it off goose gossage to kind of seal the world series. And it should have never happened because um, goose got signals from both the catcher and the dugout to intentionally walk, walk Gibson to face the next batter. And goose refused to intentionally walk Kirk Gibson and then Kirk Gibson hits this essentially the series clinching home run um, because Goose Gossage refused to walk him. Um, but that was just that was Goose's personality, uh, which I think closers kind of have to have that bulldog never back down type personality. Yeah. Um, but in that instance, it, it dramatically cost his team. Um, and that that's kind of the, the type of things that Goose Gossage is known for. He was not known to be a good teammate. Now that he's in broadcasting, he's not known to be um, a good person to work with. He is he is a curmudgeonly old man in the booth when he's in the booth. And if he's in the studio, he's constantly complaining, constantly uh, negatively comparing the current era to past eras, just constantly just being the the Simpsons meme of Homer's dad, old man yells at cloud. That is kind of who Goose Gossage has become. And it's really to the surprise of no one. If you if you know anything about his career, yeah, constantly fighting teammates in the shower, by the way, there are multiple shower fights, which is just gross. That's, <laughs> That's slippery. That's just it, dangerous. You know, slippery is about eighth on the list of problems <laughs> I'd have with a shower fight, honestly. But but Goose Gossage uh, was not super well liked by teammates, not super well liked by uh, opposing players. But he was well respected because he was a very good reliever. I don't think he's number four. I think he's probably a few spots below. Um, but he does belong on this list. I do want to make that clear. I know we've had a lot of negative things to say, but he does belong on this list. Yeah, very good, very good, um, very popular as well because of his flamboyant personality and um, and his awesome mustache. But uh, yeah, that's that's Goose Gossage, man. I would put Billy Wagner over Goose Gossage. I would as well. Yeah, I would as well. I'd have him. I'd have him probably somewhere between six and and nine, somewhere in the in the Hoyt Wilhelm uh, area, but for completely different reasons. (laughs) Yeah, right. 
All right, so Goose Gossage at number four. We're cracking into our top three, and our top three is Dennis Eckersley. Now, before I rattle off all of his accolades here, um, most of the stats that I am giving are for his relief pitching because, um, as many people know, Dennis Eckersley spent about a decade as a starter, and then once he got on the A's, became a reliever, became a closer. So um, most of the stats that I'm going to rattle off here are only his time as a reliever. He spent a 24-year career with the Indians, Red Sox, Cubs, A's, and Cardinals from 1975 to 1998. 710 games as a pitcher, 74th all-time. 807 in a third innings pitch as a reliever, 91st all-time. A 2.85 ERA and a 1.00 whip, the second lowest to Billy Wagner. Uh, A 129 ERA plus, even though he spent a decade As a starter, he still has the ninth most saves all time at 390, a 20.6 war as a reliever, four all-star appearances as a reliever. He has two others as a starter. He has two role A reliever of the year awards. He won the Cy Young as a reliever in 1992 and won the MVP as a reliever in 1992. And... It's so funny because we just talked about Goose Gossage and his homer against, or his uh, Kurt Kurt Gibson's homer, and then the next one is probably Kurt Gibson's most famous homer in the 1986 World Series. Dennis Eckersley was the pitcher, so I I thought that was interesting. Um, at first, I thought Eckersley was a little high for because I'm like he spent a decade as a starter. How good could he have been as a reliever? But when you look at it, I mean, you can't argue. I would put him maybe at, I would probably put him at top five. I'm okay with him at three. Um, given the fact that he spent as much time as he did as a starter and still did what he did as a reliever. So I would, I would, I I'm okay with, with Dennis Eckersley here at, at top in the top five, number three, I'm okay with, what do you think about Dennis Eckersley here? Cause he's kind of the anomaly. He's uh, Hoyt Wilhelm was an anomaly for one reason. And Eckersley is an anomaly for a different reason here on our list. Yeah. Eckersley, uh, <laughs> Eckersley had a weird, weird career uh, for sure. When he was with the Indians, uh, he was a starter, and he was a pretty good starter. But he actually got traded from the Indians because uh, he had some personal issues pop up. I don't know if you had ever heard this before, but uh, Eckersley's wife, who, by the way, Dennis Eckersley, married a woman named Denise. So it was Dennis and Denise Eckersley, which is something. But Dennis uh, Eckersley's wife, Denise, cheated on him with one of his teammates and then not only did she cheat on him, she left him for that teammate. I remember so, I remember that in, in his documentary. I believe it was his 30 for 30 ESPN documentary. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think it was Rick Manning was the teammate. Um, and so Eckersley was like, one of us has got to go or I'm going to kill him, basically. Yeah. And so they, they traded Eckersley. Uh, he went to the Red Sox and the Cubs for a couple of years and then became Dennis Eckersley with the A's. The Eckersley that we that we know as the closer uh, was was birthed with with the A's. And he was very good. Um, he, he's got a weird statistical, um, I guess, fact. There's no, no other way to put it that he gave up a very large disproportional amount of extra base hits. Yeah. 
compared to singles. Because, um, I mean, his whip, very low. I mean, it's one one hit and walk per inning pitched. That's outrageously good. I think you said it was second best all time behind Wagner. Well, for second on the list, anyway, yeah. on this right, list. Right, right, right. Right, I think, I think a handful of others, including Kimbrell, maybe are, are below that. But second best on the list. But yet he he gave up a lot of home runs and doubles when he would give up contact. And I don't know that there's really a great explanation for that. I don't know if if it was just one of those one of those things where if you could hit his sinker or his slider, which are his two main pitches, if you could hit his sinker or his slider, maybe uh, maybe the only way to hit it was to hit it well. I, I don't really know. I, obviously, I never stood in the box against Dennis Eckersley, but kind of a, a bit of a statistical anomaly there. But once he became a reliever, he kind of became more of a modern day reliever. He was pretty much a one inning guy uh whenever he got to uh the closer role with the A's which is not it, it was not super common at the time uh he would occasionally go more than an inning I'm not saying he didn't but once he became a reliever he would pitch the ninth inning that's what he did and he he was one of the one of the first uh, more modern archetypes of closers that would would uh you know, come come in in the ninth and shut the, shut the thing down, and everybody would go home. Yeah, that's how that's how Eckersley was as a closer, and to a pitch so long is impressive. But it's even more impressive to me when you consider the added mileage on his arm from when he was young as a starter. You know, having pitched uh, eleven years as a starter, and then still being able to put out thirteen really good years as a reliever. That's pretty impressive. No matter what the numbers are, just being able to do it, let alone do it at a Hall of Fame level. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why I don't have a problem with him here, right? Because he's just the it's the anomaly in him that make that that makes me believe that he is a top 5, possibly top 3 pitcher or relief pitcher. Um and again, he's one of the only relievers to win an MVP. It's not very often you see that. So, you know, he was good, (laughs) you know, so number three, now this is probably getting to the part where it's the most anticlimactic of the list. You could probably expect who's going to be number two and who's going to be number one, but we're going to talk about it anyway, because well, it's fun. Uh, So let's talk about our number two pitcher of all time or relief pitcher of all time, Trevor Hoffman, Trevor Hoffman spent an 18 year career with the Marlins Padres and Brewers from 1993 to 2010. The eighth most games pitched all time among relievers, 1,035, and the 27th most games all time. You want to talk about one inning guy, 1,089 and a third innings in 1,035 games pitched. That's pretty much one inning almost every time. Uh, A 2.87 ERA, a 1.06 whip, the second most saves of all time, 601, a 141 ERA plus, a 28.0 war, seven all-star appearances, and a two-time Rolaids reliever of the year. A lot of people say that Trevor Hoffman is a compiler. There is a difference between a compiler and somebody who's just good for a really long time. And Trevor Hoffman, with his, it was a circle change, right? Yeah, circle change. Trevor Hoffman, with his circle change, was good for a really long time. I do not believe Trevor Hoffman is a compiler by any means. 
I mean, you don't you don't get a 141 ERA plus for a career by being a compiler. You get a 141 ERA plus by being just good and dominant. And I think he's a little bit different. I, I and even though he has the profile of the one inning relief pitcher, I don't think he is a typical relief pitcher because a, a, a relief pitcher nowadays is a guy that's going to come in and blow you away with a 100, 101, 102 mile an hour fastball. Trevor Hoffman didn't do that. Trevor Hoffman set you up with a fastball and then he threw an 89 mile an hour circle change at you. And he's and he, he, he got you out with it. So, and he did it for a really long time, 601 saves. That's more than half of his games pitched. You know, we're looking at almost 60% of his games pitched were saves. You know, we're, we won't even talk about just save opportunities because we've already talked about Goose Gossage and the fact that a quarter of his save opportunities were blown saves. Almost 60% of his appearances ended up being saves. So that, to me, that's pure dominance off of a weird profile as a, as a closing pitcher uh, with, with the number one pitch being his circle change. So, yeah, Trevor Hoffman is the undisputed number two pitcher, a relief pitcher on this list for me. I think if it, if it was anybody else, I thought th- I think this list would have been flawed. So what do you think of Trevor Hoffman at number two? We probably don't have to talk about Trevor Hoffman at number two. Maybe you just have some anecdotes or some other research about Trevor Hoffman. Well, I don't know. Can can you see this? Oh, is that is that an autograph? Oh, that's an autograph, Trevor Hoffman. It's an autograph, and it's an autograph I got in person. So oh. I want to tell this story first. So in 2009, Trevor Hoffman was with the Brewers. His first year not in San Diego, um, he, was, uh, he was still good. He wasn't dominant Trevor Hoffman anymore. He pretty much threw exclusively an 83-mile-an-hour changeup at that point in his career. But uh, Hoffman, during batting practice, was just walking around the outfield with a fungo. Instead of throwing the ball back in, he would just toss it up with the fungo and hit it back to the infield. And, and I was in the outfield. This was in, uh, in Cleveland, actually. They're playing the Indians in interleague play. And uh, I, I, I was at the wall. I was a high school kid. And I, I'm like, Trevor, Trevor, just trying to get his attention. Uh-huh. I said, why are you hitting fungos back to the infield? And he, said, he turned around and goes, because I'm Trevor Hoffman. <laughs> and so i'm dying laughing i'm laughing uh and then a ball goes right to hoffman right after that exchange and he tosses it up and he's about to swing with the fungo and instead he catches it and he turns around to me and said and says hey got a pin oh that's cool so i tossed him down a pin that i had with me he signed the ball gave it to me right there and uh, it's one of my one of my favorite autographs because I was able to get it in person, had an interaction with him. And at the time, he was the all time saves leader. Yeah, um, that was before Rivera broke his record. Um, and and it's just a really cool, uh, really cool story there. But um, as a player, Trevor Hoffman almost had three different careers. He came up with the Marlins and was like, you know, the typical flame throwing relief pitcher. And he got traded for Gary Sheffield, and uh, the Padres are basically like, you're not, you're not good enough to continue what you're doing. So he developed his changeup really well, 
And then he kind of became, you know, prime Trevor Hoffman was next where he still threw kind of hard, you know, 95 ish, but then that nasty 88 mile an hour changeup would follow it. And then at the end, when he didn't have a fastball anymore, he just threw that low eighties changeup every single pitch and was still effective. Yeah. So it's cool to see, uh, see him have success over two decades like that and do it in a variety of ways. Um, you know, I mean, you don't, you don't compile your way to a 1.06 whip. You don't compile your way to a 141 ERA plus. Yeah. That doesn't happen. No, you don't, you don't compile your way to a two-time Rollades reliever of the year award. Like you, you, you don't, you don't do that. I, I understand that his last two years there with the Brewers, he was no longer dominant. I get that. He was still good. Yeah. Like, and I, I think to say he wasn't good at all is a little silly. Uh, he, he, he was still a good reliever the last handful of years of his career, which is something that not a lot of guys can say. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to look it up here really quick. What his, what his uh, stat line kind of looked like here in the last two years with the Brewers. Um, so we've got his last two years with the Brewers. We're looking at an ERA plus of, I mean, in 2009, he was an all-star, a 226, a 226 ERA plus. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's that's really good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, I mean, the next year after that, he had a 69 ERA plus. Nice. Um, it's so still nice, yes. It's still, it's still nice. Um, I mean, it's way below average, but it's still nice. Um, so, but... I mean, one year. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at at one year where he was below average, and it was his final year. After it was, it was the year before he retired, 2010. I mean, you can't get any better than that. You just can't. So um, it just makes me laugh when people say that Trevor Hoffman is a compiler. I don't know. Anyway, so. Are we ready for the big reveal? Who's going to be our number one relief pitcher of all time? I'm sure. I I think, you know, I've got a prediction. I I think it's going to be Kyle Farnsworth. Oh, you know what? That's a good prediction. You know what? I thought he'd be number one in biggest muscles of relief pitchers. Have you seen that dude? That dude is jacked. Holy crap. He's scary. I was thinking Tyler Clippard. I thought Tyler Clippard was going to be number number one. one goggle wear. Yeah, goggle wear. Yep, that's 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 Although it. Although I think Eckersley had a short stint where he wore some goggles, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't remember him wearing goggles, but maybe, maybe he did. Anyway, I'm sure everybody's sitting on the edge of their seat and having a drum roll trying to figure out who the number one relief pitcher of all time is. Of course, it's number one. Uh, number one, number 42, Mariano Rivera. Uh, Mariano Rivera spent a 19-year career with the Yankees from 1995 to 2013, pitched in the fourth most games all time amongst relievers, 1,115, the 17th most innings of all time, 1,283 and two-thirds, a 2.21 ERA, a 1.00 whip, second uh, out of anybody on this list, the all-time leader in saves, 652, and the all-time leader, in ERA plus 205, 205 ERA plus for a 19 year career, not one season, 19 year career. He had a 205 ERA plus a 56.3 war as a reliever, 13 all-star appearances, 
five-time Rolay Reliever of the Year awards, and is the career leader in games finished, 954. Out of 1,115 games pitched, he finished 954 of them. So, I mean, there's 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 no doubt Mariano Rivera was going to be the number one relief pitcher of all time. If it wasn't, I would I would not have produced this show because that would have just been blasphemous. Um, but I think what separates Mo from everybody else is, and and even Trevor Hoffman a little bit, is Mo did it with one pitch, his entire year, or his entire career, one pitch. It was the cutter. The best cutter that we've ever seen. We had a um, we had a post or, or, or earlier in the week. Excuse me, and it said uh, it, it asked a number of different things. What was your um, of people you've seen in your lifetime? What was the you know best hitter, the best pitcher? The one of them was the best pitch. What is the best pitch that you've seen out of any player that you've seen in your lifetime? And a lot of people were like, oh, it's. Ah, uh, you know, this curveball, it was that change up, it was whatever. And I'm like, you're talking about the best pitch in, in, in my lifetime, anyways, been the Mariano Rivera cutter. Because, you know, I, I was on a podcast with um, uh, Jacob Moses of the Step Back podcast, and he described it beautifully. You knew Mariano Rivera was throwing a cutter, you knew it. You go, oh, well, he's coming. Here comes the cutter. And nope, you missed it. Like that's exactly how Jacob, um, how, how he described it. And that's how it was. You knew he was throwing a cutter and you still couldn't touch it. So how can that not be one of the best pitches that we've ever seen in baseball history when you know it's coming and you still can't hit it? You know, um, I, I mean, that is the thing that I have for Mariano Rivera, um, and did it with class. Um, part of the big three of, uh, or I guess, do you want to say big three? Probably not. It's more of the big four, right? With Posada, Jeter, Pettit, and Mo, right? They, you know, all did it with the Yankees and um, he's the best to ever do it. I mean, and I always like, he wanted to play center field. That was his number one, like bucket list thing he wanted to do was play center field. And he hurt himself playing center field out in batting. Yep. So, towards ACL. Tore his ACL. What that was like his second or third to last year. He tore his ACL playing center field in batting practice. And you know, after that, he's like, I want to play center field. And they're like, um, no, you, you no. <laughs> so I don't think he ever did get to play center field in a game, did he? I don't think he did. Uh, as far as I know, he didn't. I know Rivera and John Smoltz both shared the same goal and would talk about it. Um, you know, whenever there'd be all-star games and obviously they were on opposite teams, but they would yeah. talk about how, how they needed to play center field in the all-star game <laughs> and stuff like that. But as far as I know, it never did get to happen, um, which is unfortunate. Well, uh, that would have been, that would have been a cool thing for Mariana yeah. uh, to be able to do, but man, <laughs> you talked about the one pitch and talked about how Jacob Moses described it. There was a, there was an interview with, with Manny Ramirez one time who faced Rivera a lot with both the Indians and the Red Sox. And they said, Manny, you're one of the best hitters of all time. Like, why couldn't you hit Mariano Rivera's cutter? It's the only pitch he threw. And Manny just kind of looked at the guy who asked him the question and said, man, cause it ain't easy to do. 
<laughs> and that's all he said. He said, because it ain't easy to do. And and he's right. It wasn't easy for anybody to do. Uh the, the guy the guy threw one pitch and was was the Babe Ruth of relief pitchers, not just because he was a Yankee, but because he did one thing. He threw a cutter. Babe Ruth did one thing. He was going to pull the ball and he was going to hit it freaking hard. That's that's what he was going to do. Yep. And just like Ruth, Rivera was not going to be stopped no matter what you tried to do. Uh, a 205 ERA plus for a career is insane. That means, just for those who, are, who aren't super familiar with the stat, that means he is twice as good as average. Not, not just that he is, uh, oh, significantly better, but like if you were to take an average player – an average reliever who has a decent year and double that production, completely double it in every way. He did that for 19 years. Double it and then some change. Yeah, and some change. <laughs> and some change. Yeah, so and, I... and it and he's another one that it almost didn't happen. He was supposed to be the Yankees' fifth starter. Mm-hmm. You know, he came up and he he started a little bit. Uh, I, did he get hurt? Is that why he he? I, could, I can't remember. Uh, I, can't, I think sure. I think that was it. But even then, he almost didn't play. He was not the one that they were going to recruit. They went to right. Panama to go recruit somebody else, and somebody went by and said, "Hey, you got to go look at this Mariano guy. This Mariano guy is pretty good." They had no they had no idea who this guy was. So, you know, that was that I always think that Mariano Rivera was a Yankee by accident. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I Man. think he did get hurt. I think that's what it was. Yeah. I, I, when I think of, of Mariano Rivera, too, I also think of another interview, this time with another Red Sox. It was with David Ortiz, and they asked him about the cutter. I mean, you can ask so many guys about Mariano's cutter and get so many responses. But Ortiz said that part of what made the cutter so good is that it was such a dynamic pitch that it looked different sometimes, and it wasn't always because Mariano was trying to make it look different. It was so good, kind of like a good knuckleball, that there was a slight amount of uh, unpredictability to it. He said sometimes it would break like a traditional cutter, and then other times it would kind of break almost like a slider. But it was it had nothing to do with Mariano trying to snap it off like a slider or do anything different. It was just such a good cutter. Sometimes it broke as hard as a slider, even though it was a cutter. Yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't because Mariano was trying to throw a slider. It was because it was just so freaking good that it broke that far. And I can't I can't imagine being a, I, I know it's supposedly a little bit easier when a pitch breaks into you rather than away from you. But I can't imagine being a lefty and thinking you've got this pitch barreled up. And then all of a sudden it just breaks your bat right above your hands. Yeah. That's gotta be so demoralizing. Right. I mean, the twins who aren't even a division opponent over the last handful of years that he pitched collected broken bats that, that he had, (laughs) he had sawed off against the twins and I love then that. Ha- had somebody build a rocking chair for him as a as a gift during his farewell tour final season. 
And it was, it was made up of a bunch of bats that he had broken over the last couple of years of his career while playing against the Twins. <laughs> it's I, an amazing I, I, gift. I loved that gift. That's an amazing gift. I love it. Um, I really don't think there's anything else we can say about Mariano Rivera. I mean, I am privileged to be able to have seen him um, live, mind you. I watched him play against the Angels. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, able been, I've been able to see him live and I watched – I mean, he was, he, he, he was a, his rookie year was the year I was born. So I got to see quite a bit of his career and understand just how dominant he really was. And um, I mean, it's going to take a lot for us to see anybody like Mariano Rivera. I don't think we'll ever see another one like Mariano Rivera, Mariano. He's one of one Mariano Rivera. So no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. So that's it. Mariano Rivera caps off our uh, goat series our greatest of all time series and this is it we're all done and we've uh we've gone by all of the uh all of the positions and all after all of the data that was collected and all of the debate and all of the argument and all of the at everyone uh, uh the everyone tag madness. how dare you tag me how <laughs> yeah. dare you how dare you tag me in a baseball on a baseball post in a baseball group about baseball? How dare you? You know what? What I have to say to that is go screw yourself. So <laughs> scroll up if you don't want to, if you don't want to participate. If you want to be a lurker, then do it. I don't care. Um, but anyway, it was it was a fun exercise. I really enjoyed it. And I appreciate yeah. that you were along, uh, that you were along for the ride, Kevin. I hope you had a good time. It was some really good discussions. Yeah, I did. I had a great time. I do have a question. Was Mariano, uh, was he unanimous? Um, hmm, let's check. Uh, let's see. Um, I would think he, he was definitely one of the, let's see. Um, no, he was wow. not. He was wow. not unanimous. There's one person that has a first place vote for Goose Gossage. And there's one ballot who has a first place vote for John Smoltz. Uh, well, Smoltz was outrageously dominant in a very short and small sample size, yeah. which was why I don't have a problem with him not being on the list. Um, you know, he didn't do it very long. Although still piled up over 150 saves in the what three and a half ish seasons that he was a closer, which is just wild that that happened. But uh, man, it's a shame that Mariano wasn't unanimous. If he would have been the first ever unanimous Hall of Famer and the the only unanimous selection on this show, that that would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, But Uh, other ones that were close, uh, all but one, four, five, six, seven, eight. All but nine ballots had Mike Schmidt as the number one third baseman. Oh, wow. uh, let's see. Outfielder, no. Catcher, no. I mean, Johnny Bench dominated it, but it wasn't as as much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Mariano was the closest, um, but not unanimous. Which I, I guess would, first I base, was, there was, there was, was a lot of – was there a lot of Pujols love? Uh, first, first base, first base so Gehrig. first base we had uh 38 for 38 for Gehrig and then 11 for Pujols and then after that it's like a handful gotcha so um and then others you had uh actually 
Joe Morgan was our number one second baseman, did not receive the most first place votes. Rogers Hornsby. Um, Rogers Hornsby got 14. Joe Morgan got 13. Hmm. Um, short stops, the most was Hannes Wagner at 12. Um, third base was Mike Schmidt. We talked about that. The most first, the most first place votes for outfielder, Babe Ruth at 12. And he crushed them, but he was he's only our number three. I thought that was really interesting. Um, people didn't know what to do with Babe Ruth. People didn't know what to do. There was a few of them. People didn't know what to do with Babe Ruth. People didn't know what to do with Pujols. People didn't know what to do with some of these people. Well, there's um, some false narratives out there about Babe Ruth saying that he wasn't a good base runner or wasn't a good defender. Those things aren't true. Yeah. They're actually actively, actively false. He was yeah. not an elite glove. He was not an elite base runner. But he stole almost 200 bases in his career. Yeah, and and he was he was known to be especially when he was young and still in better shape. He was known to be a good right fielder. Yeah, um, nineteen first place votes for Johnny Bench. The next closest was Josh Gibson at six. So Johnny Bench pretty much dominated that. Uh, starting pitchers, starting pitchers, it got uh, sort of interesting. Walter Johnson actually has the most first place votes at ten, and then Sandy Koufax and Greg Maddox both have five votes for second place. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it's really interesting. Um, Felipe is uh, Felipe has quoted me in the chat. Quote: Go screw yourself, Austin Spiro. You can put that in writing. We need <laughs> we need Raheel. We need Raheel to make us another graphic. Yeah, we do. Like he did for the Hall of Fame show, and he made the one of Felipe saying that what was it that people play baseball so they don't have to be honest yeah that was that what he said <laughs> so we, we we need we need Raheel to make us a graphic for austin yeah. screw yourself yeah we need we, yeah <laughs> somebody needs to tag Raheel. Raheel, i want a graphic uh go screw yourself uh so this was a fun exercise and i think i'm just sitting here talking because i don't want it to end <laughs> yeah yeah it's gonna be gonna be sad when it's over i mean i guess it is over but when it's officially over um you know, it's not something that you can do again either because it's like, well, it's going to get this pretty much the same results. Yep, that's it. I mean, um, you could do it in 50 years, but I mean, mm. you know. All By right. then, it's going to be a bunch of people who've never heard of. Yeah, right. For sure. All right. So this is the uh, this is the finale of the Total Bases Express show. Thank you guys so much for following us and, uh, you know, riding with us throughout the ride. Um, it was, it was a lot of fun and thank you guys for participating. I've been wanting to do this for a long time in this group. I thought it'd be a really fun exercise and it. And in fact was, I want to thank Kevin for joining me on this. It was so much fun, um, talking about it with you and doing all of these, uh, doing all of these anecdotes and, and sharing all this laughs and stuff. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah. And I guess I will just have to sign off here for my buddy, Kevin Miller. I am your host, Austin Spiro. And until next time, have a good one, everybody.